Yes, 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 y'all. We're back again. Let me tell you something, man. It's always a blessing to sit here and say we back again for another episode of the Premium Pete Show, okay? And before we get to this week's episode, okay, this coming week is such a special, special holiday. But I do, I do want to shout out to everybody who checked out last week's episode with Jamie Jones. That dude was inspired. What, what an inspiring story. I got so many people hit me up and said, yo, I love his stoner voice. Um, just a dude that, like, you know, imagine, like, hustling and, you know, illegally and then, you know, having a, a, a legitimized uh, cannabis business later on in life. I mean, um, among so many other things, internets, if you didn't check out the Jamie Jones episode of Premium Pete Show, then I suggest you do. And you know what? I'm so happy that so many people hit me on Twitter at Premium Pete, at the Premium Pete Show, and we're like, yo, I love when I see episodes with people I don't know because th- th- that's what I want. Like, I don't want you to just look and see an episode that says Funk Flex and be like, okay, I got to tune into this. If you don't know the name, I promise you, give a chance to click it, to learn about somebody different, to be inspired by somebody different. All that fame and stuff. You, don't, you, you Listen, Internet, you got to find the diamonds in the rough, and that Jamie Jones episode is one of them. But now as we get to something this 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 coming week, this Sunday, uh, even if you listen to this later on, it doesn't matter. Father's Day is this Sunday. And last year, I was so blessed to do an episode with my guy Rob Markman, um, Noah uh, uh, Callahan Bever, who is now at Def Jam, formerly a complex. My man Aaron Emperor, Casanova the rapper, and the one and only the late great prodigy. Uh, it was his last interview he's ever done. And I was so proud that it was talking about you know, being a father and how much he loved his kids and how much he wanted to make his kids understand that he didn't want them to live like he did and he wanted them to be better. You know, it wasn't no beef shit. It wasn't no no rah-rah shit. It was, it was powerful shit about being a, a father. And, you know, I wanted to do another uh, Father's Day episode and, you know, just everything going on with my daughter and me being a father. My daughter's graduating from high school this year. She just done, did her prom last week where I, I, shed, a, I shed a tear. Um, it was a beautiful thing just watching them grow. You know, I always tell you, Internet, when you're a parent, you always think you have a, a bunch of time. And you're like, yo, we, we got time for that. Internet is cliche, but time flies. And before I know it, I'm over here going to be walking my daughter into college. And I already walked her in the, you know, in the prom. I was like, we're going to have a date. I was like, listen, motherfucker, okay? You better back away. I think she told me like that. You know, it's crazy, uh, but this is the relationship we uh, uh, have, you know, as a parent. My my daughter was like, I have to go get pads. I was like, yes. Because, yeah, you know, she was on the prom date. I was like, okay, everything going to be good. You know, stay away from my daughter. But, but you know, listen, last year's episode, and if you never heard of it, the Father's Day episode last year, it was so powerful because it was just men in the room talking about how much they love their kids, learning from one and, one another. You know, somebody who had kids older, some who had kids that were younger, you know, somebody, you know, single dads, like, you know, it, it, it's that special when when you're a parent. And I think that, you know, I always push, and everybody who knows, presence over presence, meaning that the presence in your kid's life will mean more than any present you could ever give. And on this Father's Day, like I said, if you listen to this and it's past Father's Day, don't worry, still call your father and tell him you love him. If he's not here, then say a prayer. But I'm promised to tell you this too. Um, we as fathers need to be better. We need to make sure that we're in our kids' life. I say this all the time, 
But Jay-Z's uh, quote on New Day on Watch the Throne, sins of a father make your life ten times harder. I, I take my time to make sure that fellow fathers reach out to me. I've gotten on the phone with, with, with strangers uh, who are separated, who are going through struggles. No matter what you go through with your daughter's mother or your son's mother, and this is vice versa, never let the kids be affected by that. You know, I'll give, I'll give an example. When I just got divorced like 16 years ago, I remember, uh, you know, my daughter was two. And, and you know, my ex-wife called me and was like, you know, I was taking her on the weekend. And she called me out of nowhere. I was like, hey, I'm going on a date tonight. Could you take your daughter? And I was like, date? So I took it like, yo, you, you want to go out and, 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 and have sex and fuck around? And you want me to watch? And I hung up on her. And I immediately realized how stupid I was and called her back in, in a minute later. And says, no problem, I got it. Because here's the thing. The only person who suffers from your jealousy, from um, you not knowing how to move on, from just a relationship, sometimes shit doesn't work, is the kids. Look, Internet, if you learned anything, one of the most powerful things and one of the most proudest things I am happy about is to be a parent, is to be a father. And one thing you can learn through all the guests we have on, we have guests of every artist, athletes, entrepreneur, whatever, parenting and not being in kids' lives, whether it be a, 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 a man or a woman, okay? It fucks people up, okay? It, it hurts them. It, it, you know, divorce hurts kids. There's a lot of things when you grow up. You know, I, I forgot who, I think somebody was telling me the other day, they didn't really see their parents kiss when they were growing up. Like, you'd be surprised the, what, what the presence in your kid's life could do to your kids, you know, and I'm not talking about just take him somewhere. Like, you think about it, right? You know, if, if you get them a football, you got to actually take the time to throw the ball around with them. Give them memories. That's why I say presence over presence means everything. And I'm so proud of how much that has grown over the years. I never wanted anything out of it just by pushing it. I just wanted people to live that lifestyle. Anyway, listen, on this Father's Day, okay, stay with your family. Stay with, you know, stay with the ones you love. And even if if you have a problem with your father or whatever, you know, Father's Day should be every day, but, you know, make the call maybe. You know, just let let somebody know you love them, okay? Because let me tell you something. You only get one father and you only get one mother. Now, don't get me wrong. Somebody else could be that. There's aunts I know who have took mother's roles. There's fathers. There's fathers I know that lost their, you know, lost their significant other that passed away that are raising their kids I salute you, but I still believe the word dad, the word father is bruised and battered because so many of us become deadbeats. I can sit here and say, I'm a good father, I don't care. No, I want that name to continue to be better. So, internet, make sure we take care of our kids. Shout out to my guy, Frank Frank the Butcher. He remember him saying one time, do more for your kids than buy the matching Jordans. So continue to do that. Continue to spend time with them. Continue to understand presence over presence. And, and, you know, I mean, look, I, I don't know much more to say to say that, but continue to love your parents because as we're getting older, so are they, okay? And listen, as we get to, so happy Father's Day, Internet. Happy Father's Day to and, and any one of my uh, uh, listeners who's a, who's a father worldwide. I appreciate you. I always say check in. If you're a father, you know what, this week, open up your Twitter app, open up your Instagram app, at Premium P, at Premium P Show, 
check in if you're a father. Even if you're not a father, check in. Let me know where you're checking in from. I want to salute all my fathers out there on Father's Day. But understand, let's also salute the mothers too, even if it's not Mother's Day because they're special people too. When you raise a kid and you got a mother, when you raise a kid you have a father, it's special to have that. So, Internet, from the bottom of my heart, happy Father's Day to all the fathers worldwide. And as we get into this episode, you hear me into this? I'm already getting choked up. As we get into this episode, okay, this is another one. This is another episode, a restaurateur, okay, an entrepreneur, somebody who turned, who, who under the tutelage of, of, of OGs, turned and made himself into something really special. It's another one of those internets, another one of those episodes, internets, okay, backed by Sylvester Stallone and Justin Bieber. I mean, listen, okay, such, let me tell you something. There's so many things to say about this episode, okay? The guy owns Catch Restaurants, one of the founders, one of the co-founders of Rumble Boxing. Just a real gem-filled episode. Internet's sitting down with the one and only Eugene Rem. He owned 10 June. I really like the dude, okay? And I really like uh, um, um, just how creative he is and just how, and just how, look, Rumble Boxing is already, what, like, I think like 15 months or two years old. Probably, I think, 15 months, but they're incredible what they're doing. And they're going to be all over. Like, that's one thing I love, that you're going to see. Catch restaurants. I mean, I went there. Incredible. Internets. Restaurateur. Entrepreneur. Club promoter. Club owner. So much more. I present to you the Eugene Rem episode of the Premium Pete Show. Let's get to it. Cheers. Come on, everybody, get set, let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up, it's the Premium Pete Show. If you want to scoop in the low, down low, listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with my newly friend, okay? And and this is what I really love about... um you know, doing stuff like like what we do here. And it's, 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 I have a friend named Mark Zablo, Cogent, uh, his agency. He introduced me to Eugene Rem, who is sitting in front of me. And what I really like about Eugene, before I even get the hell into this episode, is you're a co-founder of Catch uh, Restaurants, but, and, and, and a bunch of other things we'll get into. But you said, hey, listen, come out to the restaurant and experience uh, what we do. And I'll be honest with you, Internet, so whoever went could probably, uh, you know, agree to this, but it was it was an experience. You know, sometimes you go out to eat, and you eat, you're hungry, mm-hmm. and, and that's what it is. But listen, I mean, so many things we could go over. I don't want to miss any of them. I mean, you've been in the club business, an entrepreneur, before I feel like even the word was even used. Um, you know, are you, I mean, would they consider you a restaurateur now? I mean, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, I certainly would like to be considered a restaurateur. It took about a decade. Um, it was a nightlife impresario or a nightlife king, and um, that one we really wanted to put behind us. So very mm. happy with restaurateur. Very proud of the term restaurateur. I would have never have thought that I would ever be called that. And when uh, when these things started, and it wasn't entrepreneurial, it was pay your rent. Mm. And um, that was all it was. It really wasn't more than that. It was, uh, I had a studio, and Tenjun was going to open, and there was a one bed on the sixth floor. And, there was a, and it, was a, it was a G more a month. Mm. It was, uh, and when was this? For? This is 2006, September. For people listening now, 
wherever they are, who may not even know what Tenjun is. What is Tenjun? Tenjun is... Tenjun was... Okay, Tenjun was. Tenjun was a nightclub that I started with my business partner, Mark Birnbaum. Mark and I are both born on the 10th of June, and we were working at other people's nightclubs. We were two young guys going out seven nights a week, living the life, enjoying it, and we just said, you know, we want to do it our way, and we want to play the music that we like, and we actually thought that hospitality was being missed from it, and quite honestly, we just wanted to throw our own party. I don't really want to give it too much more than that, but we wanted to throw our own party. We wanted Mm. to do it our own way, and um, we did it, and uh, a gentleman who owns SDK, uh, who started SDK. The Steakhouse. Yes, so we we were part of that group, and we went into the basement space, and he was coming to a bar that I was running. I was working as the director of promotions for a company called Be Our Guest. Be Our Guest um, owned like 22 restaurants. And he came there and he goes, you know, I like your style and I'm opening up a place and it's right down the street and I want you to be my partner. And I went over to Mark and I said, hey, this guy with a British accent, I think he's real because, you know, during those years, that's when everyone starts, you know, you, you meet people at two in the morning in the nightclub business and they say a lot of things and a lot of things that they say at two in the morning don't really reflect at nine in the morning. Mm. So mm. You, you meet a lot of people, they say a lot of things, but this one was real. And Mark was working at a club across the street. Mark and I are both born on the 10th of June. So we decided to call the club 10 June because we really wanted to make sure that everyone knew it was ours. You know, we were young and we were 28 years old and 29 years old and we wanted people to know that we had our own thing. We weren't employees anymore, that it was ours. It was such a big deal to put the title owner, partner on the email. Yeah, sure. just, I remember that. When I got to write the word partner on an email, it was it was a special thing. So that's so how it, it started. Did you feel like it, 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 it kind of like um, like gave you some, you know, like uh, some type of... Um you know, good feeling like a, like like I'm trying to think of the word I'm trying to use, but like, did you feel like uh, when you put founder on there, like that you feel like you were, became successful? Or look at that time, any little win was success, right? Like cutting a line at a nightclub was a success. Sure, sure. Getting, getting up, in, you know, yeah, yeah, getting, getting in, was drink a success. tickets, yeah, drink tickets. You know, meeting someone. Um, so everything. Life was about a lot of mini wins when you're 27, 28 years old. But I think. I knew what the people who I'd worked for when they were called owner, founder, partner, and to just be in that same sentence was pretty great for me. You know, you spoke about, you know, going to a nightclub in New York City, you know, seven days a week, you know, and I, and I know what you mean, you know, growing up, it's like, you know, where, where are we going out, when are we going out, to turn around and own a nightclub. How fucking different was that? Because I know people like, yo, we go to nightclubs every day, we could definitely open up one. You know, but not know how hard it is to open up a nightclub. Well, we were working for other nightclub operators, so we had a basic understanding of what it meant to operate a nightclub, and we had a basic understanding of what it was to promote a nightclub. But it was just all on us. So we got to we got all the success or all the failure. So it was really dependent on how we chose to do it. Mm. So, so would you say ten June? How long did that go on for? Ten June was open for about eight years which in nightclub years is like 150. Um, <laughs> like dog years? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it was funny because other nightclub people would come in and we, we definitely had our moment. They're like, oh, you got the crown now. 
And I was like, what does that even mean? They're like, oh, no, you're, you're the hotspot now, but my spot's opening up in six months. And I didn't really understand it. We're still just living in the day. You know, like we got up every morning. We had to do the things we needed to do to open that night. And we never, there was no plan. And there also wasn't much of a blueprint at that time. You know, everybody that was doing nightclubs at that time, if they weren't in Las Vegas, they were just hanging out at one nightclub. It wasn't such big business as it became later on in our careers. What about like uh, somebody like Peter Gation? Is that somebody who was like a, a, a competitor or at, at the time? Or Peter Gation, I know because when I was 16, I went to the limelight. Sure. By the time I was 28, there's not a soul in New York who knew who Peter Gation was. And that is... Or the patch? The, that outside of the people who really worked in the business or watched... What was it Monster? I don't remember the name of the movie. Or if you didn't know, you really, really didn't know. And we, we, there was like three generations between Peter Gation and us. True. There was like, there was a lot between there. So unfortunately, the nightlife business is not very kind on its predecessors and their history. So, what have you done for me lately? Sure, sure. Or, or be gone? So I, most people did not know who Peter Gation. Is. I, I knew who he was. I think I, I had a chance to speak to his daughter once, which was. Um, a pleasure of mine because I do know who he is and I do know what he did. But beyond that, it was not. It was. You know, it's funny. I give you a, a quick story. Uh, back when I was in the footwear business, I'll never forget. I, I, I had a shop and I closed the shop, and this lady was uh, banging on the door, and I was like, "Who the fucking?" You know, I was like, "What fucking banging on the door for?" Like, you know, like fucking, you know, trying to be respectful, but you're banging on the door. So I and she had a little kid with her, like you know, not little kid. It was like maybe like eight or nine, and. um I opened the door and I was like, can I help you? And she's like, yeah, I need those shoes. I didn't know you were going to close. I'm like, well, it's after, you know, our closing time. And um, and she points to these shoes and there was like a what the dunk. And at the time I was like, you know, and, and it's sad to say this, but it's like kind of like, because this probably is bad business, meaning like where I was like, look, that shoe is $2,000, you know, whatever. Like, you know, like, like we're closed, man. And she's like, I'll take them. And then it turns out it was like it's Peter Gation's like son, mm-hmm. and um, you know I think they lived in Toronto or something like at the time, and yeah, and uh, yeah, but it was just funny how like you never know who you're dealing with, and you never know um, you know what people, you know, it's like even like, and, and we'll talk more about like, but like customer service or you know I've seen people that came you know with ripped holes in their shirt that you know pulled out ten thousand in cash and spent six thousand of it shopping you know in in stores and. And I judged, like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, this guy ain't buying anything. Well, yeah. it's interesting because in those days, you probably could judge a little bit. But now, where pop culture and street culture is, it's kind of like the 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 worse you're dressed, the more money you probably sure, have. Sure. So I think it's some somewhere it went counterculture to that. But, yeah, back in the day, it was much more that. But now, I mean... One of our one of our doormen used to always say, you know, I wish everyone had a label that you could scan when they walked in so everyone knew who everybody was. So you can say, like, don't you know who I am? And sure. the doorman would always say, actually, I don't because there is no, I, I don't know. So imagine, you know, everyone could just plug in and be like, oh, this is your net worth, this is who you are. But that, that makes it kind of interesting. During your years in uh, 10 June, you ever have uh, big celebrities come through or even get denied at the door? You ever had, like, crazy... Uh, Situations I, that you had to get past? I mean, every single night was a crazy situation, and dreams of people you wanted to come coming in came, and people that all of a sudden started performing because it became a thing to perform there. Then this is before people were getting paid for, 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 for excuse me, paid for performances. Sure. And we loved hip hop. 
And at that time, you had like the tunnel and those kind of like super hardcore hip hop clubs. But then you became this bottle service driven, super, super high end, fancy, and actually, you know, lots of white kids mm. loving hip hop. Sure. And that became enjoyable to a lot of the artists because they felt super comfortable there. So the opening night was actually hosted by Puffy mm. and Jay and Kanye came and Penelope Cruz and Ashton Kutcher. God damn. And that was the opening night. And that was actually for June Ambrose. Um, yeah, her style, the stylist. That's right. So June, I mean, more than stylist, but she's, yeah, she's been amazing. And, and June had launched her book, uh, Effortless Fashion or Effortless Style, but whatever it is, I remember the name being awesome. And the timing... And that's an interesting thing about all of these businesses. People think I'm successful because I work really hard or I'm successful because of the money raised. Timing, I find, to be the most important part of any business venture on planet Earth because the timing of the day we opened launched perfectly with her book out, book release, which worked perfectly with Puffy's schedule and Jay and Kanye. And that's, that's a gift when you get your first night you got these young guys, me me and Mark were just standing there like in our suits, you know, and, and like suits with with, jean, with uh, jeans on because that's living on the edge. And we're just like, oh, my God, this is happening. And you're trying not to geek out and trying to be like, cool. So when you meet them, you give like the high five and, you're, you know, sure, like, sure. the pound and you're like, nice to see you. But what you're really saying in your head is, oh, my God, there's Jay-Z, there's Kanye West, there's Puff, there's this one, there's that one. And they're all in the same room. And this is night one. And the timing also, because it was VMA weekends, right when VMAs were really on their like premiere, and it was it was uh, it was awesome. It was a great first night. I mean, I remember our first birthday party there because obviously the club was called Ten June, so the tenth of June was a big thing. And Kanye West is um, birthday is probably two or three days before mine, so we were able to work it out that Kanye was going to perform and celebrate his birthday. With our birthday. So my 29th birthday, this Jewish kid from New Jersey who never like basically got into a club or ever got to meet anyone. I saw Ed Lover once at the mall. I remember that. That was like Chelsea, a very, I, Come on, <laughs> I love Ed Lover. And he was wearing a yellow jacket. And I remember that was probably like that was it was that. And then and then here we are. And Kanye singing happy birthday to me, Mark and himself. And and that's those are amazing moments. And those are special times especially because it was it was genuine we were just happy we were just happy to be there and like the place was great and all of our friends were there and it, it was a moment in time this is also pre-instagram this is pre-social media sure, sure. so like you really had to be somewhere to feel something how did you learn all the the you know the ins and outs of the business meaning like <clears throat> it, did you just hire someone to handle that like how do you know about insurance or how do you know like if something happens to somebody in the club, like mm-hmm. how how do you know how to fucking handle these things? Because again, I just want to say, save you know me, you, or Mark, or anybody, you know, ate roast beef sandwiches, and we're like, oh, we should open up a roast beef shop, not knowing mm-hmm. the difficulties that come with that. We just think that you know we think different. You have to ask a lot of people a lot of questions. You have to get uncomfortable, and you have to just know. And you have to be able to walk up to someone and be like, yo, who does your insurance? And believe it or not, there's always a guy. There was Joey the insurance guy. <laughs> and there's like, oh, where do you get your... Give me two times. You know, and there's, there was Angelo the sound tech. And then there was this guy, Sal the security guy. I mean, these are real names too. So, I mean, 
whatever you needed. And then if you said, hey, Sal, the security guy, who does the plumbing? He'd be like, oh, you know, Billy the plumber. True. And once you get in in a certain network, whether it be restaurants, nightclubs, the right person is there for the job. So Danny, Danny the lighting guy, that's a real guy. You know, that's, he does all of the lighting and electric work, and he's a real person. And if you've opened up a nightclub in the past 10 years, he's been doing it. And, and that's how you kind of figure it out. But those things you kind of figure out on the fly. The things that are the intangibles is those that can actually create the experience and run a business. So it's usually one or the other. There's people who can create the vibe and do the bang and like all that amazing stuff. And there's people who can run a business. The key is who can do both. Mm. You know, you talk about Ten June being open eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, 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 I want to get to you, like your early childhood too, and we'll bounce around to all the other projects that you're involved in and things you've been in. But um, what would you say is uh, your greatest moment and, and then follow that back up with your worst moment? My greatest moment, period? At 10 June. Yeah. Oh, at 10 June. Um, I have to say there was probably like the third night we were open, and it, it, it's this horse-shaped, horseshoe-shaped space, and the whole dance floor was going, right? And the whole outside was going, and everything was moving. And I just stopped talking to everybody, just walked myself over to like a corner and just like watched the room. And I remember it. And I remember it being like really, really special. And I remember that. It wasn't about like a specific celebrity or sure, whatever. Sure. It, it was really about just watching what just you watching created? the crowd. It wasn't about anything. Because honestly, those those Kanye moments or those LL Cool J moments or those Jay-Z moments or those Drake performing moments or those all those moments, you're so caught up that you don't enjoy the moment. You're so caught up in making sure that this person's happy and this person's happy and you got your eye on the room making sure that there's like security everywhere that you don't really get to stop. I wasn't meditating at that time. So I was just, you know, you're just trying to survive every night. So you're not thinking. So I think that I remember that moment just being like, it's happening. Mm. What about your worst moment? There's a lot of worst moments. There's a lot of times where, you know, where you can't pay your bills. Sure. Where you think you're doing the right thing and you think you're doing a good job and and then you find out that the business isn't profitable there have been times where where there have been you know altercations and, and people get hurt and those are really horrible when you know that you are partly accountable for that because that's what happened so there's there's a lot of times you know there's there's times where you've been marched on by the fire department police department at the same time and you know you might not make your P&L the following week sure and uh, those, those, those are those moments where it gets real. Like, and it gets real real quick. Like, you're having the best time ever. Sure, sure. And, like, you're counting, like, the money you're going to make for the next 10 years. And then you're like, uh, maybe I can't make rent. Mm. It's, it's, it's that extreme. So 10 June closes? Like, how did that happen? 10, that... 10 June opens, it stays open for about seven, eight years. Three years after we opened 10 June, we did really well at 10 June. We opened up a second nightclub in our first restaurant, SL. And then Abe and Arthur's. What type of restaurant was that? SL? Abe and Arthur's was a steakhouse. It was named after our grandfather's. Um, and then SL was our club below that. So basically we saw what SDK was doing. Look, a lot of the things that I've learned, I never learned from a book, right? I never, I never did well in college. I never did well in school. But I watched the guy do it. So we were, had 10 June and we had a piece of that. And we saw this restaurant upstairs. And we saw the guys running the restaurant. And we go, we could do that. 
and we could do it our way. Mm-hmm. And when we wanted to open up a club, I was working for a major operator, and I said, I could do that, and I'll do it my way. So it was just an extension of watching the guys who just had done SDK and then bringing it and using our interpretation of what a steakhouse was and another nightclub and another success. I know that um, in that time you worked for two legends mm-hmm. in the nightlife and the hospitality game. Yes. Do you, do you mind mentioning who those two are? Sure. I, I, I worked for the Gerber family, mm-hmm. which is uh, Randy and Scott Gerber, um, and, and their father, Jordan Gerber. Um, and I also worked for Steve Hansen, who uh, was the founder of Be Our Guest, and a real, real like G in the business. If anyone is 40 or older, they, they would know all of Steve's successes throughout 20, 30 years. So I worked with one which was a super family business, where it was really about family, sure. right? Like, it was like the brothers and the sisters and, and, and everybody that worked there had been friends with Randy and Scott for 15, 20 years. It was a family. And then the other one was a real machine, a real operating machine where it's like, hey, every, every I needs to be dotted, every T needs to be crossed. I learned the two most extremes about the business. Um, and that was an interesting time for me. It was my first job in the business. I had worked at an... Um, at a PR firm first. And I worked in ad sales. I hated my life. I quit. Someone said, you'd be good at PR. There was this thing called Google that had just come out. (laughs) I Googled public relations firms, NYC. And I went down the list and I started listening to this faxing my resume. Faxing. Faxing my resume with a cover letter. I think I paid somebody like a hundred bucks to write my uh, resume because I couldn't even write it properly. And this place was like, look, we don't have any assistant positions, but you could take a job in the mailroom. Mm. And I'm a college graduate. I'm, you know, did pretty well in college, bought a few homes, flipped them. And here I am working in the mailroom, cutting newspaper articles and picking up trash bags. You know, I heard uh, a story about you. uh, I don't know if it's the PR firm or wherever you work that they didn't give you an office. Why wouldn't they give you an office? Could you tell me that story? Because well, go ahead. I I wasn't all the again. I didn't understand lifestyle and fashion PR. So all the women were like these young, well dressed. They had like Jimmy Choo shoe. Again, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know that was an expensive shoe. I didn't know any of that. And then they left me in the back, and then you called me the clip boy. So because that's where I would cut the news clips, and they would call me Clip Shady. Because I, because I would blast hip hop and work out of this room, but you know I, I saw what it type as hip hop. Well, whatever. I mean, at that time, that was like the Jay Z Nas battles. That was like Bubba Sparks. Mm. That was Timberland. That was that entire Nelly Nelly Furtada Furtada mm. Furtado? Furtado, yeah. Nelly Furtada um, time. But it it was an interesting. But it was super humbling, really humbling. But I knew there was an opportunity there. I knew I'd have a chance to learn. And I got to wear sweatpants to work, you know? I got to take the suit off at a crap job and at least, look, I did crazy things there. Like, I made my own business cards with the name of the company on it before they would even, they would never let me have a business card. Like, I just did it. Would you just go out and order them? Yes. Yes, I took the logo and I paid $72 and I went to the place. I said, I want my business card because if I go out, I want to hand out my business card. So. 
it, it was ballsy, but um, I didn't look at it as ballsy. I just looked at it, that's what I needed to do to try to get into some places and meet some people above my pay grade. Sure, so they, give, so they don't give you office, you get a closet, I hear. This is what I heard, the story, you get a closet. <laughs> you put a desk in the fucking closet? I, I, I put a desk. I asked if I can spend $500 to design that room for the other interns, but I really used it for myself. And um, and that was it. And I stayed there for about nine months, and then they finally gave me an assistant position for the head of events. You know, when you talk about somebody like um, Randy Gerber yes. and uh, Steve Hansen, yes. why did why, why do you think they took a shot on, on, on a young kid? You know, I, I mean, you know, just a young kid. Like, why did they take a shot on you? The same reason I probably would take a shot on any young kid right now if they walked in the room saying the things that I would probably say, which is, hey, I don't need to talk about vacation days. I don't really care too much what the salary is. Is there opportunity to grow? Is there opportunity to learn? And I will do whatever it takes to do the job. And when I met with Scott Gerber, he finally said, he goes, and I've been waiting for someone to say this, you know, because I was an assistant, an assistant, assistant, and break that assistant role. He's like, I don't need an assistant. Can you generate money, mm-hmm. revenue? Can you make sure. revenue? And I said, yeah. I wasn't exactly sure how I was going to do it, but I did it. <laughs> and he put me on a, a low salary, but a commission-based. And it was the first, so my first entry point into nightlife was working in the events at the Gerber bars. And Scott was the operator. Randy was living in L.A. And then I got to meet Randy when he came to town. And I saw this other person who was super creative, super brand building, and like knew all the cool people. And I saw the dynamic work. So that was my first. And then their father, who, who passed, but was like really just like an OG. Like this sure, man was sure. like the best person on planet Earth. You know, so, so uh, earlier we just talked about, you know, um, uh, June 10, mm-hmm. right? not, not, I mean 10 June. Yep. And then we, we we go back and we go back to how you got that start into there. Yep. When you moved on to uh, 10 June, yes. w- were they supportive, these guys? Um, <laughs> look, I was a young guy and I probably didn't leave either position the way I should have. I left, I was young, I was a bit cocky, and I was getting fed all these amazing compliments. And again, I wasn't used to that. I hadn't ever, I've never been good at anything really before because when you're in high school, all was good was grades or grades or sports. And I wasn't crushing it at either. And in college I was barely, I was barely passing school, you know? So to finally be good at something and to be feeling a little good about your pay going up and the accolades of people, I definitely could have communicated my, ability to move on better but you know Steve Hansen who's a a mentor to me and a really amazing operator and truly one of the probably smartest people in the food and beverage space and I don't know anyone in New York who disagree with that um, found out I was going to open 10 June and gave me a package to stay it was a really great package like numbers I have never heard my father's never seen his father has definitely never even probably like looked at that number on a piece of paper and I actually saw that number. I called my partner, Mark. I said, hey, I love you, but I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay with, uh, be our guest. And he goes, bro, are you crazy? This is our opportunity. 
We're going to do this thing. We're going to make it awesome. Like you can always go back and take a job. This is a chance to be that word, an entrepreneur. And I was like, nah, dude, again, this is coming from a very simple home. And I got real sick. I never get sick. I got like pneumonia or like something where I had to stay home for five days. Right after that, that's probably the anxiety that it had created for me. And I sat in my apartment for five days and I came back and I looked at that couch in that club that I was running and I go, I can do better than this. I called my business partner, Mark. I said, hey, you take me back? I'm down to go. He's like, of course. And I threw my final party without telling anybody because I wanted to leave on my own terms. And um, I had my last night at, it was a place called Level V. And by the way, it was still my last night, but I still wanted to, I still generated sales, still rocked it. And at 3 a.m., I, uh, I hit send and my resignation letter because I, uh, I didn't want to face it. And that was it. You ever seen him again? A hundred times. We, we've, had it, we've had many times I have conversations. He, he's spoken to me many times about different things. And, and, and I, I, I enjoy every conversation I get to have with him. Obviously, he's, um, well, he's semi-retired. He sold the company. He has a family now. And he's, he's living his best life. Um, but, yeah, we, 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 we stay in touch. I stay in touch with Randy. I occasionally see Scott. I think about Jordan a lot. Um, and was, those were those were great times. You know, you speak about your partner, Mark. Uh, it seems to be as uh, this guy has uh, been your partner in so many things um, mm-hmm. and so many years, right? You know, Mark and I, I'm never big on like astrology and stuff like that, but it's really interesting that two guys born on the same day, he's a year older, so remember he's always the old one. I'm always the young one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, man, you know, we, 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 we complement each other really well. He... Him and I versus the world. And for those 10 years, those, those were really that decade of the nightclub business and stuff like that. It was, it was really awesome. And we really worked together really well. We complement each other. Mark actually lives in Los Angeles now. And Mark oversees the Catch LA property. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much his style. It's very much his, his vibe. He loves LA. He loves driving. Um, he, he loves the whole vibe out there. Sure. So well, he's not going anywhere if he drives, but, you know, there's so much traffic. But the reason why I even brought him, and not to cut you off, the reason why I brought him up for is because being having a friend as a partner or having a business partner, that early on, would, uh, did you ever, like, you know, like get, a, like, a contract? Or did you just, is, is this, like, a one of the rare uh, moments that you kind of, like, shook hands and you guys have been? You have, well, look, you have to have a contract. The best contract is the one you throw in a drawer and never look at again. And that's the goal of most contracts. Um, and I can say of all the contracts I've ever had, that's probably one I've never looked at in my entire life. Um, but I could never do well in a business that I was 100% by myself. I work well in a group. I work well in an environment where everyone shares their thoughts and opinions. I also know very much that there are a lot of things that I am not good at. And that is a self-awareness that I think I caught very early. And to surround myself and compliment myself with someone in any business or in any situation who can balance me out. I know I have my pros. I know I have my cons. And to find someone who does different things but where you can meet in the middle, that's a rarity. And there is always trust. And I think it's really as simple as that. And two people having each other's back, it's a grind out there. And especially back then in the nightlife world, it is not... 
a kind place. Sure. It is not a place where people are honest with each other. The word integrity and business values, it's just kind of like, bro, you're the man. Turn around, bro. That, that dude is played. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's piece that, of shit. That's it. That's yeah. It. No, I know. I mean, it's like anybody. It's like the, people love music; they hate the music business. People love going out to a, a you know, maybe, maybe maybe you like going out, but you don't like the 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 you know club in you know industry or club. That's right. You know, so to speak. I mean, I think it it, it has a lot to say about that. You know, let's take a, take it back a little. You know, you, you're born. You weren't born here, right? No, you were born in Russia. I was born in Russia. Now, what made what, what did Dad even do out in Russia? What did Mom do? And what even made them come here to Brooklyn <laughs> and go to all places? Brighton Beach. What did somebody say? There's a lot of Russians down here. We better call and come down to Brighton Beach. <laughs> well, look, you know, my mother and father are are super quiet, simple people. Uh, grew up with a very simple life, um, but in 1980, when I was two years old. They they saw you know they they saw a cement wall at the end of their future and for how simple they are and what they do every day here in America they took the biggest risk and they were willing to get on a plane and come across the world and you couldn't check out where they were going you know some dude was like you show up here and um, we're gonna take care of you and I think they gave them I think we came with seven thousand mm. dollars. And that was what my father had saved. What did he do out in Russia? Well, it's funny you ask that because before we came out here, I, I met with my parents this week and I asked my dad, I said, you know, did you, were you a student? Were you a good student? He's like, terrible. And I never knew that because they were always hard on me for my grades. But now that I look back on it, it was my mom who was hard on my grades. My father was easy because he was terrible at school. But my father, my father hustled. Look, everyone in Russia hustles. Right, you you gotta remember this is communist Russia, so no one has like a job where you can make more than the next guy. The shoe guy knows the meat guy, and if your family needs shoes and your family needs meat, they 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 kind of they switch. Sure. So that's really what it was. So my dad was, you know, a very quiet guy. My mom was a a, a music major and very great, kind, simple people, and just got up in 1980 when. Um, Russia was allowing Jews to leave. Mm. So we had to go to Italy for six months while we got our paperwork. And then we end up in um, Farakaway, Queens, actually, was the first stop. Mm. And, shout out to Queens. Yes, yeah, shout out to Farakaway, Queens. And, you know, my mother, my father, his father, and his mother. And we separated the family because my mother's side was like, what are you doing? You're leaving Russia. You're leaving the family. What are you nuts? This is like the best place on earth. Um, and, and, uh, and we took, they, you know, they took the biggest risk, bigger risk than anything I can ever say. Everyone talks about entrepreneurs and, oh my God, we risk our lives every day for this stuff. No, they left everything they know and everything they had. And they came with a map, right? And seven G's mm. and that's it. They had to learn a new language they had to find jobs. They had to find how to get to the grocery store. I mean, I got to tell you, I would have a hard time with that right now. Mm. If you sent me to China right now without a phone, without a translator, and you said figure it out, I, I don't know how, you know, what a, whatever successful entrepreneur I am, I don't know how quick I'd bounce back. Mm. You know, you, you, growing up, um, mom and pops didn't have a lot of money. No. You know, I, know, I remember speaking to you even... You know, and and we'll get into that a little bit more. But even like just like 
Pops maybe wasn't, just like my Pops, maybe wasn't the most loving or like, let's go out and go to Yankee games or play <laughs> ball or whatever. Right. And I know this is a hard fucking question. I don't really even like questions. We're just conversations. Yeah, yeah. But how does somebody like that grow up like that? It doesn't have a lot. It comes from parents that, you know, good people, but, you know, maybe they just didn't. How the fuck does somebody like that become to a point where you get successful? Like, what do you credit that to? Meaning, like, where you're like, oh, you know what? Like, What do I credit? What do you credit your success to? Thirst. Mm. Because that's something you cannot teach. You cannot teach someone to be thirsty. You're either thirsty or you're not. So by not having anything or by being limited in the things I could have as a child and growing up, it made me want to go get every single thing I ever wanted. And what I wanted was everything I heard on rap records. Mm. And, TV. Well, yeah, and TV. But really, honestly, at the, at the age where I really wanted stuff, outside like a G.I. Joe or Nintendo, it's when I started listening to rap lyrics. But I think what my father... I'll tell you what my father taught me. My father taught me never go into debt because no one's going to do anything for you. My father never asked a single person for a dollar. There was never a time where we had like, oh no, the, the, the mortgage is behind or the car got you know taken away. No, we didn't go to Disney World ever mm. and we never had vacations, but we never needed for the basics. And I think for my father, when you think about like the word loving, what he understood and he, what he understood at that time in his life as love is taking care. So in his mind, he's checking the box because he's like, my son has food and my son has a home and I get up every morning and go to some shit job to make sure of that. So I think that's how he saw love was to do those type of things. And who would have taught him differently? Sure. You know what I'm saying? Other than like, you know, rabbis maybe, but we weren't really in the, we weren't going to like synagogue on the weekends, but who, where would he ever get that education? Sure. So, I mean, when his mother, you know, it's wooden spoon time, and, and you know, his father, I, I don't ever recall my grandfather ever giving a, you know, I love you, son, during the days of us growing up. So, you know, I, I totally am, am understanding very much of where they came from, and I don't know how nice I'd be. Sure. But when you think about it now, you don't have any kids yet. No. But uh, when you do, and, and no disrespect to our father, your yeah, father, yeah. but will you, do you have like an urge or desire or a thought to be so different than he was? I definitely am a different person than my father from from moment zero to now. I, I, I um, We're completely different people and everything. Um, so I couldn't imagine raising my son or daughter the same way. Uh, how I'm going to do that. Definitely, is, it's just going to match where I am today. And yeah. I really don't think, there, there, I wasn't particularly raised any one way or the other. We were just, you know, it's different, right? Once you're, when you're just surviving, when you're just trying to get through, you're just trying to get through the day. There was never like a Saturday afternoon where would be like, son, are you happy? You know, what are your fears in your life? You know, and I don't blame them for that. So, sure, sure. But no one, you know, now as a grown up, where I sit with people who I work with, and I feel their pain and their fears and their challenges, I know that I could communicate that way better to my children. Mm-hmm. Listen, uh, the gems are starting to drop. I don't want anyone to go anywhere, okay? I, what I do want you to do, if you've never been to a catch restaurant, 
is put that on your uh, to-do list. They have one in L.A. They have one in New York. Yes. They have one in Dubai. Dubai. Fuck, we, we, when we come back from the break, I had to get to that. How the fuck do you have one in Dubai? Hmm. Where else? Playa del Carmen. Oh, was that Mexico? Yes. And, and the big one is opening in Las Vegas in November. My God. 15,000 square feet in the P- area. Plus, we got Rumble Box, and we haven't even got into that. Listen, Internet's, we're sitting here with Eugene Rem, restaurateur, entrepreneur, all of that. Don't go nowhere. We'll be right back. What's up, everybody? It's Gary Vaynerchuk, a.k.a. Gary V, and you're locked into the Premium Pete Show. Internet's today's show is being brought to you by the Wild Jones Podcast Network. Do you like weed? Do you like podcasts? Well, I already know you like podcasts. Well, the Wild Jones Podcast Network has both. You know who is behind this? The one and only Jamie Jones. Did you listen to the Jamie Jones episode of the Premium Pete Show? Inspiring dude, okay? And he's also a cannabis guru. Listen to me. On this network, they have weed, a bunch of weed podcasts, a bunch of dope podcasts. Sativa Sports Talk, Smoking Jays and Hip Hop Podcast, Blunt Broads, Searching for More, Keeping Up with the Jones. Listen, you're guaranteed to find a strain you like. You see how clever I was on that shit? Internet, let me tell you something. I mess with Jamie Jones. He's a 14-year film producer, has a new movie starring Tiffany Haddish, also owns a bunch of cannabis business. He's always on the move and giving game, okay? That's why I had him on the show. I fuck with him, and I want you to check out the Wild Jones Podcast Network. Go to iTunes or Stitcher. Okay, and subscribe to the Wild Jones Podcast Network. You understand? It's it, it's all free. Check them out on YouTube. Like I said, iTunes, Stitcher. You could also go to wildjones.com to find out more. That's W-I-L-D-J-O-N-E-S.com. Go there, find out more. Fuck with the Wild Jones Podcast Network. All my cannabis uh, heads, all my weed heads, anybody want to be inspired, check out the Wild Jones Podcast Network today. Tell them Premium Pete sent you. Cheer. Internet and we're back sitting here with my guy, my friend Eugene. Listen, What's up, Eugene Rem? Um, you know, we spoke about uh, Ten June. We yes. spoke about how even before then, speaking about being in ads, working in ad agencies, working in uh, what's the name of the company? Be uh, be your be, be our, our guest. Be our guest. And then we speak about even just jumping out of you know working lane and 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 getting a project like you know Ten June. Mm-hmm. But then we spoke about it even closing, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And what what was your ideas to even what, what did you have in mind to even do? Like after you know ten June closes, you know you could like you know what, what I'm thinking right now is what Mark said. He said you could always go get a job. Yeah. Did you think about going back to a regular job? No. Mm. Uh, that, that that's that's the back on the wall. Mm. You know that's that's that place where you don't really want to go. Um, but, you know, look, you know, things were hard and, and, and there was a challenge and there was a time when there was a time where we had 14 places on the signature, the email signature. Right. And then fast forward 18 months later and we had three. Mm. And uh, and that's an interesting time. You opened up now, now. Now, maybe before that, you know, I want to make sure that people are getting this story right. You yep. opened up. Uh, a, so you had 10 June. Right. Uh, you want me to give you the quick, the okay. quick history line? Yeah. 10 June, September 06, September 09, Abe and Arthur's in SL, our first restaurant, our second nightclub. Then we opened up Catch in 11 September, which was a 450-seat restaurant, which is still open, thriving. Uh, at the same time, we opened up Lexington Brass, which is our restaurant in Midtown on 48th and Lex in September 2011. We then opened Catch Miami, the general finale, HQ at Revel Casino, um, SL in the Hamptons. Wait, how the fuck did you get into a casino? 
<laughs> How does that happen? Uh, well, there's a company that's uh, paid $2.2 billion to build a casino, and they needed a, a nightlife operator, and ourselves and another group from Las Vegas partnered together to open it. And the place was super successful for the two seasons it was open. And then the impossible happened, which was that the hotel went bankrupt. How, but how does that happen? Um, you spend $2.2 billion on a casino. You build a casino that isn't towards gaming. You focus on lifestyle and yoga, and you don't, you don't make it work right. And in a time where people just want to gamble, smoke, and party, you counter-program to everything against that. So everything goes against you, and the casino can't even stay open. You know, and it's closed still to this day. It's just $2.2 billion of steel. Mm. They didn't have uh, they didn't have Ace Sam Ace Rothstein running that joint. That's the uh, fucking reason why they. That's didn't That's right. Make it. They didn't count blueberries. They didn't count blueberries. <laughs> e- equal amount of blueberries in that's, each muffin. That's right. So 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 you you did you mention uh, finale? I did general and finale. Yes. So what what what's life like when you open in all these places? Like, is your how did how did you focus? Like, you know. Did, now you had a company, right? So yes. You, so so there was employees and lots of employees, lots and lots of payroll, lots and lots of employees, lots of friends. But there was really only one person to blame when things went wrong, and that's myself. Sure. And what I did wrong was I started to blame everybody else for all the problems that were happening, instead of taking the time to be like, you know what, you know, like I'd be like, you're not focused, and you're not paying attention. It was like, no, no, I'm not focused. I'm not paying attention. I'm not putting in the real work. I'm not strategizing. I'm just living my best life. Sure. I'm paying attention to articles that are written about me as if that's me. And that is, that is the kiss of death. That is the beginning of a downward spiral. And that is what happened to us where we, you know, I call it like the, the three little piggies, right? What's, what, what's your house made out of, right? Um, straw stones or bricks right and we were made out of straw so when we kept opening more and more and stopped focusing the same attention to detail that we had at Tenjun I mean when we talked about Tenjun SL Abe and Arthur's catch we were paying attention to like the light bulb we were paying attention to who worked in the bathroom because that's how important it was so when we stopped doing the thing that really made us what we were sure and started focusing on just the dollars and like growth and growth. And we started listening to other people talking about EBITDA and returns and valuations. And again, didn't study this stuff in college. No one tells you, uh, yeah, one out of a thousand of these growth business models actually work. The rest fall on their face. And, you know, we didn't listen because we had all this hype. And, you know, there's nothing that unique about our story. And the reason it's not unique is because every book I've ever read since then, every scenario, it's, it's the same thing. You grow, you don't create structure, you don't, you, don't, uh, you don't pay attention to the details, you don't treat each business specifically, you don't hire people better than you, you don't bring on any board of directors or people to help you guide you when you're a young guy. And then you, 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 you get axed. You know, with all those projects and restaurants and the Atlantic City to revel. It's funny because when you mentioned it, I'm like, damn, man, I remember that. Yeah. And, and you know, how, how how did this all come tumbling down as far as, like, uh, uh, Tenjun was closed? Mm-hmm. Like, why was Tenjun closed? Why was 
um, all the other ones. Why did they close like that? They all closed within a year of each other because Mark and I made a conscious decision that what we were doing wasn't working, that places were not making money. And one day we just looked at each other and looked at the P&L and said, hey, we're going to have to do that thing that you read about or you watch in the movies where you shut them down, you find the places that are working, you remove a lot of the payroll that was, that was on board, and you bring it back to the basics and you start over. And that was a really hard 12 months. There was a lot of money that was being lost. There was a moment in time where I thought I had made a good amount of money and everything I'd have ever made, I had to spend to keep the places alive in order to get through that time. Sure, sure. So long story short, without boring anybody, was that you look at each other and you say, hey, back to basics. Here's the positive. And I know everyone's like, you know, it was all this, there was a lot of negative. And every day, like when we were trying to sell one of the properties and trying to get out of them and then a deal fell through and a landlord was being so difficult and then lawsuits and hiring litigation lawyers. I mean, this is out of a movie and I know nothing about this sort of stuff. So I'm learning as I go. And, you know, this is where I started to like really work on my spirituality and, and, and getting a little bit more about what, what's important to me and how this all works. And someone very close to me goes, every obstacle is an opportunity. If your bank, if your accountant calls you and said you owe half a million dollars in taxes, you say, thank you so much. And I go, what are you talking about, bro? This is, that's like stupid. <laughs> it's like, that's like, that's a problem. He goes, listen to me. You say, thank you very much. Because if you can handle that $500,000 problem, you're never going to make it a $3 million problem or a $5 million problem. And if you can fix it at that number, by the way, none of these things happen. I pay my taxes. But um, if, you can, if you can fix them, then you're going to grow. Mm. And you can either look at it like, let's fix it when it's like a small problem. It's kind of like when people like ruin their health, right? Like no one suddenly dies of a heart attack, right? Everyone's like, oh, he suddenly died of a heart attack. No, sir. What you did was eat, you ate like shit for 25 years. Sure. You didn't take care of yourself. You didn't work out. And then you dropped dead. But for 25 years, it was not suddenly. So anything that had happened in our business wasn't sudden. It was actually when things were awesome is when we were at our worst. Mm. But when things were bad, when we were closing the places, we were actually at our best. Because that's when we put in the real work. And that's what's gotten us back to where we are today. That work we did when things were wrong has helped make everything right. And that's really easy to say now that everything's said and done. Sure, but sure. when someone's going through a hard, and this is like a big part of why I came on here, is to kind of tell people, it's not about to brag at all about the things I'm of doing, course. but to really tell people like, hey, when things are challenging, you could really look at it as an opportunity. And if you're not being challenged... And if you're not at that point of break, then you're not even hitting your potential. It means if you're at that point, that's exactly where you need to be. And even if you fail, you haven't failed. And I think it's really important because we would never, ever be where we are today if we just didn't go through that. You had to go through it. You know, you, you, you speak about closing down a bunch, a bunch of um, 
you know, restaurants and, 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 and clubs. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about, you know, almost, I think we spoke about almost like $20 million, maybe. Uh, yeah, a lot of money. $30 million. Who knows? It's a, a lot of money. A lot of money. And, I, and when we sat and ate dinner uh, a couple of days ago, I told you, I says, you know, and, and, you know, I guess I'm just being honest, but maybe somebody like me, I would have probably had to refocus and maybe I would have shut the lights off or maybe I would have put the covers over my head for a day or two, not mm. saying long, yep. maybe a week. You know, um, I feel like you you have a burning desire um, to to win. And then you also said something to me about uh, if you do something, you know, if you do something great, the the you, you know try, try, then you're good for another one like try and do it again yes and you know i mean i'm sure you spoke about being spiritual did you go through any meditation through that time like how did you not deal with getting depressed through, through, because i mean yeah. think about it people will, will commit suicide off of shit like sure. that sure <laughs> well let's hope not but um look first off my business partner mark is a super optimist so even when things are really bad he he, he has a light spirit, so that's, that's a benefit of having him as a partner. For me personally, I took it very hard, but when I, things get hard for me, I, I'm, not, I'm not wired to, to shut down. I actually probably do my very best work when so I'm— on the pressure? No, when I'm thirsty. Sure. And again, bringing it back to my childhood, when you talk about what did I want growing up, I was thirsty. So here I am again, right? Money's not in the bank. The accolades are not coming in. Nobody's asking to do interviews about us. Nobody's, uh, in fact, everybody that used to say all these amazing things about us are, are really jabbing at us. Oh, they're a Ponzi scheme. They're not a real company. They're going to shut down. Their whole company is going to go to nothing. And, you know, I, I started studying Kabbalah. Um, I, I think it's important that everyone, whatever you do, whatever is your outlet, that you find a spiritual path and connection outside of the nonsense that you we know, do every day. Not to cut you off, but pardon me for my dumbest. What what the fuck is Kabbalah? It's just a form of uh, Judaism. It's a Jewish. It's a Jew, uh, Jewish mysticism. Okay, but it's. it's I thought it was some type of uh, you know exercise or you know, no, no, it, it is not. But it, well, it is an exercise. It's an exercise of the mind, mm. and it's challenging the things like that Bud we, like Buddhism. Sure, like like Christianity, like Muslim, like anything. Every it all has its. For core focus on really giving a perspective of what's important. And through this process, I learned a lot about myself. And it brought me back to the thing that really inspired me the most, and that's working with people and doing the thing I love every single day. So somewhere between 2011 and 2013, I lost, I fell off the track, right? Mm -hmm. I fell off what was the most important thing. The kid wanted to make sure that my friends had fun and we were playing the right music and we were serving the right food and people were having the best time ever. Somewhere that got really lost and that got turned into, how much money can I make? Mm. How many businesses can I open? Can I get that deal? Yeah, yeah, just sign the deal. Just, just want the check. Let's get the check. Let's get the check. Short check, long loss. Mm. That, that's how you got to see it. You want to be good in any business? Stop playing checkers. You got to play chess. If you're just looking at the pieces right in front of you, it's a wrap. And that's really what we did. We, we, we played too much checkers, but, you know, it ended up working out in the end. You know, so, so a bunch of, a bunch of, so the nightclubs come to an end and, and mm -hmm. the restaurant business, um, besides catch. And Lexington Brass, yes. And Lexington Brass stay open. You know, 
Did you, even right now, I mean, do you ever want to get back into club business? So we still have a pseudo nightclub on the fourth floor of Catch, and it's run differently, and we have a, we have a different philosophy. We run it, I call it like the cheers mentality, sure, like where sure. everyone knows everyone's name. We don't play like the newest hip-hop on planet Earth that's just trending. We play what we love, right? Sure. And, and our team there, I told them, I was like, let's not imitate any other nightclub out there. Let's just do us. And so we still, it, it, we're still in a little bit, but um, it's on our own terms. And we, we do it the way we want to do it. And, and I think that's awesome. We're not competitive anymore. There was like, there was like a five-year, seven-year period where there was like real like nightlife wars. Like every club owner didn't like the other club owner. Yeah, yeah. It, it's honestly yeah. a Saturday Night Live spoof, if you really like think about it afterwards. Sure. But like this one wouldn't be allowed into this place and that place. It was such comedy. So to, to remove all of that sort of stuff and get back to focusing on catch. So catch is a property that has a nightlife DNA. So that's, our, we were born through the nightclubs. How did you even come up with the name? Like how does catch you, like what, what does it mean? <laughs> catch, seafood, it was catchy, it was simple, it was one word and uh, we rocked it and, and Mark and I came up with it and we love seafood and we love Nobu. Mm. and we just said there needs to be something in the middle, and Nobu was super, super high-end, especially for us at our at our budget at that time. And there's a place called Blue Water Grill that was part of Steve Hansen's company, and while I was working for him, I had a food comp account, so I can go eat at any of these restaurants, and I assure you I took advantage of it, because it's the first time I can get, like, a $28 piece of fish. Sure, I was sure. like, nah, man, just get, like... Get that sea bass. That's right. Stop by the deli and get, a, like, a bagel with, you know, turkey, honey, honey mustard turkey. But, um, and that's how Catch was formed. And Catch was formed with the idea that we were going to be nightlife-inspired, but bring it to food. And it's shifted in over the seven years. It's had three different lives. Mm. So, so as we were going to a break, we said uh, catches in New York City. I've been there, uh, four hundred and fifty seat. Um, yes, I mean it, it was. I'll be honest with you, man. We got there a drop before it got busy at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I turned around, and the place was fucking packed. And you even said that too. You were like uh, about an hour from now, it's going to be packed. How does that happen? Like, how does a restaurant that has 450 seats, that has three floors, right? Three floors? Yes. How does that, how does, how, what do you credit that to? I credit it to a lot of hard work by a lot, lot of people over the past seven years. And I've credited to sustaining a quality food product, service product, and vibe product. So I think there's a lot of restaurants that do that vibe thing really well. And there's a lot of restaurants that do food and service. There's very few that can bridge the gap and do both. And we focus, when we started Catch, I got to be honest with you, it was vibe first, right? It was like celebrities and actors and cool people and really like super, super specific. But how'd they find out about it? Well, the, that's, that's the personal relationships from the nightclub business. That, mm. That's your cell phone. And that's that grind. And that's still pre-social media. So that's really that... OG, word of mouth, where are you at tonight, you coming sure, out sure. tonight. That's that thumb war. And that's that Mark and I really pushing on those thumbs to, to make that happen. And that's how it's... That, but once you... Look, the hardest part is starting a fire, right? Sure. Got to put those sticks together. You get the spark. Keeping a fire going is easier. You just got to keep throwing a brick on it. How many uh, seats is in LA? How many seats? 350. And Dubai? 150. Why Dubai? Like, why did you open up in Dubai? 
Uh, Dubai, we had local partners that were in the market, and uh, they they really wanted to take it and open it, and we thought it was a good opportunity since we personally weren't going to be opening in Dubai to work with them. What about Mexico? Uh, Mexico is another great partnership with uh, local with the Thompson Hotel Group and mm-hmm. with the local operators and uh, real estate guys, and we've known those guys forever. And, and Playa del Carmen specifically, it really fit our vibe. All of our properties have outdoor spaces, um, except Dubai because it's 120 degrees in the summer. But it was just it was just dope. It, like, it really had a great vibe and a great feel, and it felt like catch. You know, one thing that we didn't get into is you've learned, and I'm sure even your partner uh, has learned, but... I feel like you've learned to not only own restaurants or own things, but kind of like, you know, um, bring on investors or bring on partners, mm-hmm. you know, raise money. Yes. Like, again, I know, I, I know, you know, these seem like, uh, you know, like, how do you, how do you get people to believe in what you're doing? How do you get to raise money? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of people looking to raise money that don't raise money. That's right. Because, that people people yeah. are nervous to, to invest. And then there's people that are knocking at your door. They're like, come on, let me invest. Yes. How, how, how do you, where did you even learn that type of, of, of knowledge or, or well, style? You know, it's, I learned it by watching others. I learned it by listening to other people talk about it. And whenever I had an opportunity to get in a room with someone who raised money before, and the first time you hear someone talk about it, it was kind of like my first, con- my first legal contract, right? The words sound like foreign languages and you really think you'll never get it. But then you realize this is the 555th legal document they've done that month. And when you get into it, it's really not that complicated. It's like any business. You need to be in the business to learn the business. So the first time we ever had to raise money was for 10 June. And we we knew what the restaurant was raising per, per point, right? We we're like, oh, it's X dollars a point for 1% of the business. And they gave us the terms and we called our lawyer at the time and said, how do you do this? And we called two friends they gave us an idea, and we went with it. And that's how we raised money the first time. And uh, there's a, there is a little bit of a blueprint in the restaurant nightclub world on how those deals get done. And then when you when you step outside of that and work start working with big financial institutions, they also do that. Mm. You know, you you look at something like um, Catch, right? Yes. And you have what five locations? Yes. Okay. Well, so the fifth one will be opening in November. In, in that, Vegas. That's the mothership that's in, in uh, Vegas. opening. Why yeah. is that the mothership? Well, I mean, it's it's a real special place. It's 15,000 square feet. It's oh. right right off the uh, casino floor in one of in my opinion, one of the best casinos in all in, of all of Las and Vegas. What's that? Aria. Okay. And you know, it, it's Rockwell designed and it, it's super whimsical and it's really it's really a, a culmination of everything we've accomplished in New York in Los Angeles cuz Getting to Las Vegas is, is, is kind of the mecca for our business. That's where you go when you've proven yourself on the east and west coast. You know, you, so, so, so you have, obviously, you, you dabbled in so many different businesses, you know, restaurants, nightclubs. I mean, you gained so much knowledge. I'm, you know, I'm sure it obviously made you a wealthy person. Um, you know, then all of a sudden... You know, I've, I mean, I found out, and I, I kind of—I think it was obviously in public news, but you—you you get somebody who wants to, or maybe not even—he didn't want to invest. But how does this even happen with the Houston Rockets owner who just bought the Houston mm-hmm. Rockets? Tillman Fertitta. Tillman Fertitta. Yeah. 
How does this get? Because he owns what fifty percent, or yes, he he is our fifty percent partner in our entire hospitality company. Okay, which is Catch and all the restaurants, all the restaurants. Yes. How does and and, and, and let me say it the way I say it. How the fuck does that even happen? It happens as simple as most things in life. He walked in the front door of the restaurant. So he, you didn't invite him? I did not know him personally. I absolutely knew of him. And there's probably three people who are the, the pinnacle of restaurant operators in this country. And, and he is one of them. And Steve Hansen, who I worked for, sure. was one. Tillman Fertitta is, to my knowledge, the biggest private operator uh, of, of all restaurants in America. And my friend made a reservation for him at the restaurant. And, you know, he was, he was sitting having dinner with, 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 a, with a couple of co-workers. And I went up and I introduced myself and I brought it back to 2005 when I was just a guy shaking the hand of every single person I ever met to try to get him to, uh, to come to the club downstairs. And you stick your hand out and you let him know who you are. And... Um, and that was it. You know, I, I had a conversation with him. Obviously, he's interested because he's he's in the business. Sure. So he's, you know, the most successful people I've ever met are always curious about the other person. And him, I remember specifically going out of his way to ask me a lot of questions about my business, about myself personally, and obviously because of who because of who he was, I was excited to answer all of them. So I didn't have like an agenda with him specifically mm-hmm. at that time. But all I, all I knew is like, wherever I've been, I always wanted to know who the baddest dude in the room was. And I always wanted to figure out how I can get to them and how I could get to meet them. Cause I only learn by speaking with people. I don't learn any other way. So I stuck my hand out. I, I, I wanted to connect with him. He was kind enough to give me his card and you know, I, I, I stayed on him. I stayed on him and I wanted to make sure I wanted to invite him back uh, to, to try the rest of the menu because obviously he could only eat a small amount of it. Sure. And I brought it back and then I said, hey, I want to visit you in Houston. And, you know, he was kind of like, well, sure. And he's like, and, but, you know, any guy who has 400 plus restaurants, I wanted to see, what does that mean? Just like you say, how the fuck do you do that? I wanted to see how the fuck does this guy operate 400 restaurants? 400 all different levels i'm talking like super super premium mastros to to some more more low-end concepts like uh bill's burger sure and and he said yes i called mark who was in la i said hey let let's go get on a plane tomorrow we're going to houston he has time for us and we spent the day with him in houston at the time we were we were raising um money for catch los angeles we asked him to invest at the time, he said, um, you know, I don't really invest in restaurants, um, but let's see how you guys do in L.A. And we opened up Los Angeles, and it was a massive success, and it was a success on many levels. We were able to open successfully um, financially, mm-hmm. so we, 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 we got in on budget, we got in on time, we were able to hit all of our P&Ls, and then on the other side, which was the PR side in Los Angeles, we really hit it. You know, we really hit all the people that needed to be there, were there for the first year every single day. And then, you know, I, I reached out to him again. I said, hey, when are you in New York again? He came in New York and he, he you know, he, he, he looks at me and he goes, I want to be part of this. Um, and he, he was really excited that we were able to prove ourselves on both co- coasts because we were coming off some L's, right? Sure, sure, sure. We had some serious losses. So we weren't as 
we weren't like living in the dream. We were just like, hey, we need to make this one restaurant work. Our entire future depends on Catch Los Angeles. We just had to close four places. Our, our, our card says Catch and Lexington Brass, and that's it. And we needed to make sure that this opening was the real deal. And we put all of our effort on it, and it was successful. And because of that success, on, um, on June 10th, Mark, and my birthdays, um, we closed the deal. And, and Tillman became a 50% partner, which, by the way, he's never owned 50% of, of anything. He always buys things out 100%. But he was super interested in how we operate because that's what you know, smart people do. They, they see people who operate differently. They see the next generation. And, and he wanted to be part of that. So it, it's been an awesome ride. It's been about a year, coming up on a year. And the man is, you know, obviously he bought the Houston Rockets after he after he purchased us, so um, he's become a lot more high profile, and he's also got that show on uh, CNBC, Billion Dollar Buyer. But he's a real deal. He's a he's a real deal dude, and you know they do it big in Texas, and and he and he does it big. He's he's everything he promised, he's delivered on. Everything he said, he's let us do. Why? Why did where did fifty percent come from though? Is that because he wanted he wanted he wanted to be even with us, so okay. he wanted to be. He wanted it to be something where everyone everyone shared. So you know that's 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 an easy number, where it's like we're in it together. You know, we, we, you know, we're in it fifty fifty. So you know, some people, you know, you could have probably had a chance to get out of it. You know, did you, did you ever think of that? I never thought of it. I've been doing this for a long time. I love that restaurant. More importantly than the restaurant itself, I love the people I work with, and I don't couldn't imagine not being involved with those people and, and, and that restaurant. I, I love it. And I love it even more because now I got a guy that can help us grow. You know, I mean, yeah, and do so many things. You know, it's funny because a little bit earlier I said, if you do, you mentioned to me uh, when we met up uh, a couple of days ago, he says, if, you, if I do something great, I want to be able to do it again. To me, that's success. I always have one more in me. And then you turn around and you decide to open, and this is what, correct me if I'm wrong, 15 months ago, uh, Rumble Boxing? January 9th, 2017. Which Rumble Boxing is explained as what? What do you call it? You call it a fitness? How do you, how do you break it? Boxing-inspired group fitness workout. See, see, I, see, that sounds beautiful, but I don't even know what the hell that means. For people listening at home, right? Yeah. What, what, what exactly sure. is the meaning of yeah. Rumble Boxing? Rumble Boxing is a 60-person class that's 45 minutes long where you walk into the room, we dim the lights, we blast the music, you spend 22 minutes doing full-body workout, and you spend 22 minutes boxing on a 185-pound water bag while we bang out amazing hip-hop in-house and make you feel like you're in a nightclub environment, and we make working out fun. Now, why did you... The water, like why water? <laughs> um, well, water dissipates uh, a lot of impact on your wrist, on your elbows, on your shoulders, on your back. And it was different. And when you hit it, it feels like a belly, right? Mm. It feels good. And you feel tough and you feel good. Um, and it had this swaggy like um, teardrop shape, mm. which the whole time I've ever hit, in boxing, it's always been that sandbag, sure. dad bag, and I don't like anything traditional. Our restaurants aren't traditional, and 
boxing had something that had been so traditional for hundreds of years. And we just wanted to flip it on our on its head. But what made you, like, you think about it, what made you say, like, just wake up one morning or and say, hey, you know what, I'm going to open up a I'll, rump. I'll, like, yeah. I'll tell you. So, look, I was looking to do something in addition to the restaurants. I was looking to bring out a little bit more of my creative side. And, you know, someone said to me, I was coming up with all these different ideas and it wasn't ready yet. I knew I loved fitness. I was working out all the time. I was an early investor in a company called Flywheel, which did really well. And I knew I loved working out. It was the only thing I loved doing more than eating. And I have learned for me to be successful in any business, I got to love what it is. If I had to actually do it just off of like data and like off of, off of like, I don't know, anything other than what I love, I would fail at it because I wouldn't be able to lead with gut. And I wanted to get into fitness. I had a trainer and he left the state and he was, uh, and my options were as follows, $250 private or go to a gym with a bunch of criminals and literally smell like a dead, you know, like someone died in the Mm. gym with no air conditioning. So there's nothing in the middle. And it was our interpretation of a fun workout and boxing had not been made fun. I know it's a corny word, but it's a simple word. No, 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 I get it. Fun. And boxing and hip hop and fashion all went together and and that's how it kind of came about. You know, one thing I like about it, I visited Rumble and uh, it was packed. And, and what I really liked about it, and I was telling you guys when I was there is, so... During, during uh, you know, I got a preview of, like, them getting ready for a class, and I just pictured myself, because that's what, you know, the type of guy I am. I like to, like, picture the situation I'm in. And I was like, man, if people come here, and uh, first of all, it was, like, 79% women, so, or 82%. I mean, I'm, I'm doing 71. Numbers. Okay, I'm sorry. 71. Hey, listen. It, so that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> but second of all, the, I thought to myself, and I says, and, and, and I mean this from, from my heart. We spin. People, you know, we spin. We, I'm all over the place, and so are so many other people, obviously. Doing this, doing this, your family, this, that, that, you know, working on a project, this, you travel here. I felt like that class was a chance for people to unwind, um, maybe get rid of some of their frustrations. Or wind up. Yeah, why, well, <laughs> but yeah, but kind of like, you know, kind of like release some of your tension. Absolutely. And and kind of like, you know, give people a chance to, because people are stressed, man. People complain about everything. People complain about fucking Instagram not being in chronological order, man. You understand? <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to give people a W. We're trying so, to give people a win. So you said to me, you said uh, Sylvester Stallone is, is, is a partner or investor? Or? Uh, Sylvester Stallone is one of our investors, absolutely. How, how did that even happen? Same, same. How does way, Big Rock come on board? The same way everything else happens. Just a guy knows a guy, and you put something in front of him that that actually interests them, and they're excited about it. And then you you become, you go from an honored fan to uh, to 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 a, to a business associate. And um, obviously, he makes sense for boxing. He was really into it. He 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 understands the. Um, the show of it, and and he loved it. What are uh, some other uh, celebrity investors? <laughs> I don't really want to talk no, about I, it. Okay, okay. I, I'd rather not talk about the name. Sly, Sly, it, Sly has been brought up in many publications, so I felt comfortable mentioning sure, sure, him sure, briefly. Sure. And but 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 I think there's a lot of people involved, and and the good news about them being involved is they love the class. 
Mm-hmm. They do it because they actually enjoy coming. I don't think they were necessarily like, oh, this is the business deal of a century. I think it's going to be a fabulous business venture, but they love doing it. It makes them feel good. And that's why I think a lot of them invested. It fits who they are. So it's 15 months old, this business. Yes. Rumble Boxing, right? Yes. You have one location? We have two locations open. Okay, so you have two two locations, right? And then here's another thing that I have to ask. Uh, um, you know, how the hell does it happen? But you're the, 15. The, you're, the, the answer is going to be the same where everything no, else no, happens. No, no, it's not going to be. It's not going to be. It's got to okay. be different this time because here you go again. You do it twice. You do it, you, you know, you have success. You have failure. You come back. You have success. You create Rumble Boxing. It's open 15 months. You have two locations. It's it's sexy. It's it's packed, mm-hmm. and then Equinox yes comes in what like what do they do? How does this even happen? Comes and in, invests in Rumble Box in fifteen months. Yes, um, the the thirty second version is I was looking to do a boxing concept. My business partner Andy Stenzer was looking to do a boxing concept. We both found out that we wanted to do a boxing concept. So myself, Andy, Anthony DeMarco. And then Noah Neiman, who was one of the star trainers at Barry's Boot Camp at the time, and also a fellow like friend of mine, as well as a Hofstra grad where we went to school, came together and created Rumble. We open Rumble. It becomes the single best studio in America for group fitness. There is not a single better What does that mean when you say studio? It means there are more people that come to Rumble every single day than any single studio in the United States in group fitness. Mm. In 15 months? In, on, on, like, yes, in, in day two. Mm. You know, really, like, uh, 60 days after we were open, we, we, were, we were breaking some serious records of any single studio in, in New York and anything that we can keep sure. track of in, in America. So regarding Equinox, I, I want to work with champions. I want to work with the best. Tillman Fertitta is the best in the food and beverage space. I always want to work with the best. I always want to... I always want to be mentored by the best and no different than I, I met um, Tillman about 15 years ago. I was introduced to Harvey Spivak, who, is the C, who was the CEO and now the chairman of Equinox. Um, Equinox. And we always stayed in touch. I would always throw him some of my silly ideas every once in a while. I'd be like, hey, I got one for you. And I'd throw him an idea and he'd tell me why it was a bad idea. And I said, thank you very much. And then I went back to running my restaurants. And um, when, when we opened up successfully in these two locations, we, we, we got his intrigue. And um, he, he, we were honored to have him as one of the people involved in the project. And they took a, a pretty significant uh, role. And we're, we're super excited to have, have them. But mostly, I just really always wanted to work. Sure, with sure. the best. I just like real deal dudes are not a dime a dozen. They're just simply not. Did well? Did did they? Uh, would they take a percentage of the business? They they, they took a they they took a piece of the Is of it the public, business. Public record? It's not public record, but they, they they took a they took a piece of the business somewhere. You know, some percent. Hundred million. Fifty million. Uh, somewhere there. Somewhere okay, okay. somewhere there. But uh, it, it isn't so much. Look. The only reason, no, no, and, and, and get it, I don't want to cut you off, but I want to explain to you. The only reason I ask about that for is because I look at a Russian immigrant kid yes. that moved to Brooklyn. Parents didn't have nothing. That's how I look at it. and That's how I look at it, too, by and, the way. And then all of a sudden, uh-huh. not all of a sudden. No, no. Hard work. But what I mean is, like, I, 
I don't know. You know, I always look back, you know, even, you know, I remember one time when I made a couple of mistakes in life and I found myself in a place that nobody wants to be. And whenever I have successes, mm-hmm. I always look back to those moments. Yes. And I say to myself, you came from this. And, and, and that's the only reason I act like that. I'm not sure. You know. No, no, I, I appreciate that. So I, I will say this. Since it's not my first rodeo of something being super successful and then not being what, not ending out what it was supposed to be, I don't look at any of these numbers as real numbers until they actually come to fruition. So when people invest, and this is something really important that everyone, when they hear these big valuation numbers of any company, it's just a valuation. It's not money in the bank. So you have to do a lot of work and hit a lot of things successfully for the next several years for that valuation to become dollars. And the amount of times that that doesn't work is a lot. So I, I stand here very careful when I talk about that because yeah, I'm, that, I'm a little kid from Brooklyn that was raised in New Jersey that was like psyched to move in my first walk up and went through that whole process. But, you know, I don't want to celebrate that too much because they're like, it's just a number. It really is. It's, it's really just a number. And it's not, there are people who are like teachers. There are people who are like doing a lot of great things. They're not celebrated by valuations. But I do think it's really important to know that all these valuations of companies that you see right now and everyone's like, yo, I'm worth this amount, I'm worth that amount. It's all, it's all just, it's just air for mm. now. Mm. Mm. And when it's real, it'll be real. And the same with catch, by the way. Everyone thinks, you know, you're so successful, you're so wealthy. That's just simply not true. I have a massive investment in my business that I now have to execute on. So keep it going. Keep it going. Meet meet the expectations that you've been set forth. And that's really hard. So there's valuations, there's, and then there's actuals. And they're very different. You know, Rumble Boxing, you know, how much does music um, play a part of what, you know, what happens there in classes? Music, music is my everything. Mm. Music is, I, from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to sleep, I listen to music. And at Catch... I play a large role in the operations, the day-to-day operations. It, it, it's, a real, it's, a, it's a real operational business for me. Mm-hmm. In Rumble, I have partners who really handle the day-to-day operations and the strategy and the growth of that business. So I focus on a lot more of the creative, such as the music. So to me, I, I, music is something I really understand, and I understand it because I've been in nightclubs for so long, and I understand the value of like how to make it move you. And I spent a lot of time along with DJ Chachi and a couple of other guys, and we edit and create music. I don't think there's a single other group fitness concept that takes the time to do those sort of things. And even if they did take the time, I don't think they'd have necessarily the ear. But we have a point of view. We love Jay-Z. We love Kanye West. We love Nas. We love Drake. So we're going to play them. Mm. Right? You know, and, and, and if you diss Nas... I'll probably never play your record uh, or any one of your artists mm. at, at, at our place because we, we have a point of view on that. We think Biggie is the best rapper of all time. So we, we make a Biggie Buddha in mm. our property. We, we have pop culture references throughout the space. And we love the music from the 90s and 2000s and sure. early 2000s. Like fe- that feel-good 
and also EDM. You know, big fans of a lot of the EDM scene, the Tiestos, the Alessos, um, and, and, and the Calvin Harris's of the world. So sure. what we do is we blend them. You know, um, we covered a lot. And um, somebody listening to this who wants to start a restaurant, I don't know, maybe wants to start a project like Rumble Boxing or Group Fitness, wants to just... Mm-hmm. Be an entrepreneur, because so many fucking people want to be an entrepreneur these days. Yes. What's some advice you would give them? <sighs> you know, if you asked me three years ago and I gave you some advice, I would have been completely wrong, right? Because, or four years ago, whatever it yeah. was, and I'd be on top, right? I, I was on top at that time, and I would say, do the X, Y, and Z, and you'll be good to go. And then... No one really did ask me some any much advice when we weren't doing great. But when we weren't doing great, I probably would have given you the best advice because it was what to do when things are tough. My, there is no silver bullet to how to do this. And I've spent the last hour and a half or whatever telling you how I've gotten here. And some people say, yo, I work 22 hours a day. Every day I don't sleep. That's not me. I sleep. Um, there are people who are like, no, 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 you have to do, you have to read all day long and you have to do this and you have to do that and you have to be ruthless. That's not me. I'm not ruthless. I think of people first. So I think everyone does it differently, but to be a successful entrepreneur, I think we'd have to take a step back and ask what defines success. So if you want, is a successful entrepreneur rich? Or is a successful entrepreneur one that motivates the people that he works with and inspires the customer that he has? So is the, is the successful entrepreneur a family man or, or someone that's arrogant and just think the world is about him? So what is success? And I think that's a really important thing. And what I would share with everybody is success is different to anyone. But in this world where, you know, like in this 360 world, where there is no more one-dimensional because we have the internet and we have videos everywhere and we see everything, it's impossible to judge success on any one specific thing. And to me, success is 360 success. So of course, and I, I, don't, I don't bash someone, but if the only thing you're successful at is doing business, but you're unhealthy and you're not kind to people and you're, and you're, not, and you're not caring to your kids or your parents, you know, are you successful? Or did you just work on the one thing that came easy to you, which was business, and didn't spend one damn minute working on the other things? So to me, if you want to ask what I think a successful entrepreneur needs to do, it needs to work on their strengths, because that are the, those are the things that come easy to them, but really get uncomfortable with the things that they're not great at. And in this world where people can pretty much work wherever they want, the successful ones or people, you really want to inspire. And I don't think inspiring anymore is about like how much money you have in the bank or how many Rolexes you have. And if you drive a Ferrari, you know, in fact, I think if you drive a Ferrari and you show that flash, you're uninspiring. Mm. So I think you really need to identify. And, and the word success is very different to different people. And you have to ask yourself, what is success to you? And if you want to really understand that, ask everybody else what success means to them. And there is no one person that's going to give you the perfect path. Sure. You take, 
you just put your face in front of every single person and be curious. Ask questions. How did you do this? How did you do this? If you could take 1% from every person you met, put it together, and figure out how that works in your life, that's how you become successful. And that's what I think a successful entrepreneur is in today's generation. You know, I'm sure you had uh, a bunch of fears growing up, and maybe even at an older age, like Mm -hmm. some insecurities. Yes. Uh, Were you able to tackle them through your failures and successes over the years? Look, I have, everyone has fears and everyone has insecurities and I, I still, I have, one, well, I have one nightmare, right? The nightmare is I wake up, it's my final semester of college and I hadn't been going to that last class and I'm going to fail and I'm going to have to be sent back from school. And then I wake up and I'm like, I'm 39 years old. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in my house, like I'm I'm. 18 years removed from that, but somewhere that still scares me. So yeah, I still think I don't deserve anything that I have. I still think that any, all of this can be taken away from me tomorrow. I still feel like if I'm not sometimes aggressive with people I work with, that they can take my mistake, my kindness for weakness. And, and that, that those are things I have to work on. I have to trust more Mm. and I have to feel good and believing that everything happens for a reason instead of just thinking that I... Anyone who thinks they control everything is out of their damn mind. Mm. You think, I got myself here. You know, you, um, as we wind this episode down, you, uh, you got married. How long ago did you get married? Um, well, te- we went to City Hall in April, so technically two years ago, but the wedding was about a year. Whatever, two years ago. Yeah. Yes. You know, it's... Most people, you know, obviously people get married, but mm-hmm. being a... a, a a very busy, you know, entrepreneur, you know, a lot of things on the plate. You know, what's the reason to get married? Like, was it because you wanted to be a family? Was it, you you don't, you don't want to be lonely or you just <laughs> found somebody that you could share your, because, no. because, no, because the reason why I say that for is because some, some entrepreneurs are sometimes when you're chasing your dreams and your business, it's hard to have somebody else, you know? Right. For me personally, and I'll only speak for myself, my wife is the bridge to all of my successes. Mm. Plain and simple. From the day that I met her and everything that's happened in my career from the time that I met her has been the best version of myself. She brings out the best in me. So when someone's... And I've had people say to me, married, huh? Bad for business, huh? And I'll be like, man, what a stupid, stupid sentence. It's bad for business. Mm-hmm. It, 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 again, you're, you're being very one-dimensional. What I found is when I became a better husband, I became a better businessman. Sure. And when I stopped caring about me being number one and put that attention on someone else, that's when I really learned empathy and understanding. And that's when you realize the world is bigger than yourself. So to me, you know, I don't have children yet, but marriage is the first step to that. So to, to me, that family, yeah, yeah. To, and to, I, I say it to her all the time. I go, she is the bridge to all my success. Everything. Listen, um, catch, let's go back over it. First of all, catch is check him out on Instagram. Check him out in real life. Okay. Internet. I want you, listen, I, I went to the New York one. I plan to go back. Uh, just a real great experience. It's Thank nothing, you. there's nothing like enjoying good food or should I say great food? And I'm not, I'm not just saying that. I, anybody who listens knows I don't bullshit, but great food with great experience. 
Rumble Boxing was that Rumble underscore Boxing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eugene Rem, uh, Eugene R E M M on Instagram. And um, what else? I mean, is there anything else coming besides? Wait, actually, Rumble Boxing is two locations. I think you said a bunch more. Are sure, open. we have a we're expand. Los Angeles opens at the end of June mm-hmm. on eighty five hundred Sunset. We have an entire five story building uh, opening on eighty fifth and third with two studios. We also have San Francisco opening, Washington, D.C. opening, and Philadelphia opening all in the next six months. Oh, man. Listen, I'm close to Philly. I'm going to come there for that. Actually, wait, you Philadelphia. You know what's so funny? Right on uh, Walnut. Right okay, on Walnut. Okay, okay. Listen, busy time. But listen, what I do want to say is as we end this episode, um, so many different avenues of success, so many different avenues of failure mm-hmm. that you've gone through, so many different, you know, never giving up, and that I give you credit for. But I always want to say this. And I think it means a lot. When you have someone who wasn't born here, even though you were young, you didn't come from money, you know, um, to get where you are is something really special. It, 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 you know, it's something you should be proud of. Not to lose focus on what you're doing, but something that you should be really proud of to know. It's not about money. It's right. about creating. Like, think about it. Like, I think about you created a place for people to work. Like, people people who are in catch making great money providing for their family because of an idea that you had right but that 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 immigrant status that that ability that lack is what got me here if mm. i didn't have that la- I, I think about that sometimes with my friends who maybe their father's a billionaire like what are they inspired about like what what was their push right they if they're not a billion in one air they're a failure mm. that sucks mm. so to me i, I i'm excited i'm glad i'm not you know, I never walked in a room and someone said, oh, you're Michael Rem's son. That never happened. And that allowed me to be whoever I wanted to be. So for everyone out there who's struggling, who doesn't really like know, like, you know, my dad didn't get me that interview or my dad didn't do that for me or my family's not this, you have a lot more opportunity than you can imagine because you can do anything you want. If your dad's a dentist, you don't have to become a dentist. You know what I'm saying? Like you could do anything that you want because you, you're on a fresh canvas. And in this world... Man, you could do anything you want, period. Mm. Internets, go check out Catch. They're going to be all over the world soon. Go check out Rumble Boxing. Eugene, listen, I, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by. Love the journey. Continue success. Can't wait to uh, we see a, a young Eugene. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring him a, I'll get him a nice pair of kicks, okay? I'll get him That's a nice right. pair That's right. I appreciate that. Thank you. Internet, see you next episode. Thank Cheer. you. Internets, if you enjoyed that episode, I want you to email me. At the premium show at gmail.com. Again, that's email is the premium show at gmail.com. Let me know what you thought. And listen, all my advertisers out there, all my big businesses, my small businesses, whoever, a friend, a store, you want to advertise on the premium show? Email me at the premium show at gmail.com and let's get working. Okay? Make sure you subscribe, rate, leave a comment on all streaming platforms and podcasts. Tell a friend to tell a friend. And we'll see you next episode. Cheer.